Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Sportsman Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cope, and today we're going to talk about a couple of things, including uh, a new state record, a new North Carolina state record fish that's also a pending world record caught by an angler from Sumter, South Carolina, and he caught it fishing out of Ocean Isle with a salt fever guide service. And uh, the fish was uh, somewhat of a rarity off the Carolina coastline. It's called a pompano dolphin fish, which I know sounds like an April Fool's joke, but uh, because there is a pompano and there is a dolphin, and uh, and there's actually a pompano dolphin fish, and it's not a hybrid. It's just a another species of in the dolphin family. Um, and we're not talking about flipper when we're talking about dolphin. We're talking about a uh, fish that are commonly called mahi-mahi um, and the other common name is dolphin fish and the one that is most often caught um, off the coast of the Carolinas is just called a common dolphin fish or mahi-mahi and the pompano dolphin fish is a cousin of the mahi-mahi. They're the only two families in their genus which I won't even try to pronounce but uh the there was there was not a current there was not currently a state record for uh, pompano dolphin fish in North Carolina. Um, it's just not commonly caught enough, and when it is caught, it's often confused with a juvenile mahi mahi because they do v- look very similar. There are some differences, but a lot of anglers have probably caught one here and there and thought that it was just an odd looking uh, mahi um, and uh, an odd looking small mahi. That, because they don't get very big, um, and and they just you know probably threw it in the box and filleted it and thought it was a regular mahi mahi. But uh, anyway, the kid that caught it, he's 18 year old uh, from Sumter, South Carolina. His name's Charlie Noonan. And when I started to find out about the the story um, and looking at it to uh, write an article, I realized he was a uh, the son of a friend of mine named Buddy Noonan from Sumter, South Carolina. I grew up in Sumter County. And uh, anyway, so that that made it a little more interesting to me. But Charlie was uh, on the boat with his family. Um, it was a graduation gift from his family. And he, uh, I guess he just graduated from high school. And they were fishing with, uh, like I said, Salt Fever Guide Service out of Ocean Isle Beach. And... Uh, the captain, uh, Tyler Haley, when he brought the fish on board, he thought at first he he, he noticed there was something strange looking about it. He, he said he'd never caught a pompano dolphin fish before, but that he knew they existed. And when he caught the when he when uh, Charlie caught the fish and when Tyler brought it on board, he thought, well, that's a strange looking uh, dolphin, or it could be actually be a pompano dolphin fish. So he, you know threw it in the box and thought he I, I need to check on that when uh, we get back to the dock to make sure it's not a pompano dolphin fish which would be really cool because uh, he'd never caught one before he'd never seen one before in, in real life so anyway they got back to the dock and he asked another uh, one of the salt fever captains that's fished in different parts of the world where the uh, uh, pompano dolphin fish are more common and and he checked a few things on it, and he said, yeah, that's definitely a pompano dolphin fish, and it's a big one. So uh, they called NCDMF, and uh, 
uh, North Carolina Department of Marine Fisheries and told them what they had. And, and uh, they said, well, you need to get it weighed at a, an official weigh station. Uh, so they took it to uh, uh, one of the tackle stores in the area, uh, Intracoastal Angler, and they had it weighed, officially weighed, and they met one of the uh, marine biologists um, after, afterwards, and he confirmed that it was a pompano dolphin fish and uh, got the paperwork started to make it a state record, and uh, they checked on the IGFA world record, which was only 8 pounds and something, and Charlie's fish was 11 pounds and change, um, 11 pounds, 11.34 pounds. Um, so it was about three pounds heavier than the current world record. And when you catch a fish that's not in the state record book, the way to get it in the state record book is North Carolina will look at surrounding states, what their state records are, and they'll look at the world record. And if it's uh, close to either one of those or both of those, uh, then they'll add it to the, the state record list. And in this case, I don't think there was a state record for Virginia or South Carolina. Um, so they looked at the world record, which was smaller than the one this guy caught. So North Carolina said, yeah, we're definitely going to add this to our list. And so it's, it's, it is now the, uh, North Carolina state record and it's pending the pending IGFA world record. And they're just waiting on getting all the paperwork, uh, straightened out and talking to captain Tyler Haley. Uh, he said, you know, he'd spoken with the IGFA and they said, you know, it's a done deal. It's just a matter of getting the paperwork uh, on the right person's desk. Um, and, and that'll be signed into the, as the new world record. So pretty awesome. Uh, you know, that's uh straight Carolina right there, a boy from Sumter, South Carolina, catching a new state and world record, um, from Ocean Isle beach or in Ocean Isle beach, North Carolina. Um, they were fishing 42 miles offshore out of Ocean Isle beach, fishing on a, a Freeman boat works catamaran, which is made in South Carolina. Um, they were fishing on the glory days, part of the fleet of a uh, salt fever guide service. And if y'all want to take an offshore trip or an inshore trip, salt fever guide service has numerous captains and numerous boats and they stay on top of what the fish are doing and it, whatever you want to go after, you know, they can, they can put you on it. If it's in the Carolinas, even, even a, a rare fish, somewhat rare fish like this, um, the, but they do a great job and, you know, credit to captain Tyler Haley, because a lot of guides would have just said, well, that's an odd looking dolphin. Um, even, even if they noticed it was odd looking, they would have said, well, that's an odd looking dolphin, but some of them are like that. And they would have filleted it back at the dock and never thought any, any more of it. So, you know, credit to him for, um, for noticing it and for taking the time to, uh, to figure out, you know, that, that, that it was actually a, a different fish and for going through the trouble of finding out what the records were and, and getting that paperwork started. So they, uh, caught the fish on in the shadows of a refugee raft and captain Tyler sent me a picture of it. And I'd actually gotten this photograph several times in the past uh, or in the previous 
month from anglers starting in Merle's Inlet and, and on up the coast. And, uh, you know, Captain Tyler said, yeah, this is that same raft. And it's, he sent me a picture of it. And I'll tell you what, the people that get on these rafts, man, they, you just think of a tin roof, just a metal, a silver tin roof. And that's what these boats are, are made of. They make a frame out of two by fours and then they just nail that tin roof material to it. And I guess they must glue it real heavily because that boat's been out there for, for more than a month off the coast of the Carolinas and it still looks high and dry. You know, it's, it's st- the inside of it still looks high and dry. And uh, anyway, Captain Tyler said, anytime you see something floating on the surface and you're offshore, fish are always going to be under that. Fish are, fish are attracted to that because the open ocean is kind of like the desert and that there's, there's no trees in the desert and in the open ocean is kind of like that. There's not a whole lot for them to get, find any shade for the fish to find any shade or anything like that. And when you put a little bit of shade out there, um, you know, I've been fishing offshore where, uh, uh, just a eight foot sheet of plywood is floating out there and, you know, the captains will do everything they can to troll a lure past it. And dolphin, uh, the mahi-mahi will come out and hit it. And all kinds of other fish will get under it. But anyway, Captain Tyler said that this particular raft, they saw they saw a big mahi that had a tag on it. And they really wanted that one to bite, but it wouldn't bite. And they saw this fish, and they saw a cobia. And uh, they ended up trying to catch... Uh, fish on it and didn't have any luck i think they did catch the cobia which was uh short you know too short to keep and they couldn't get the dolphin or the the pompano dolphin fish to bite and uh so they left and they went uh bottom fishing and they caught a bunch of snappers and uh and trigger fish and uh they i mean dozens and they you know loaded the boat up with them and uh had a really good day and they were headed back in, and Captain Tyler said, uh, you know, knowing that this was a graduation gift to uh, Charlie, he wanted to really make it extra special. And he said, you know, if we find that raft again, we'll probably get one of those one of those fish to bite. And uh, so they, they went back out uh, looking for the raft. It, it's real easy to find, according to Captain Tyler, with the radar because of the uh, – the old style materials that the boat's made of, it shows up really well. And he said, if you're within 15 or 16 miles of it, you're, you can locate it really easily on your, on your electronics. So that's what they did. And they went back and, uh, and the, the tagged bull dolphin and this fish were, were still hanging around in the shade of the raft. And, uh, Charlie pitched a ballyhoo in there and, uh, this was the fish that, that jumped on it. And uh, Captain Tyler said while he was netting the fish, he realized there was something odd about it, you know, because at the time he was still thinking it was a regular mahi. Um, but anyway, so that, you know, if you want to, there's a lot, there's actually, a believe it or not, there's actually a lot more to this story um, that, than I've told. And it's just a really interesting story. And you can find it on carolinasportsman.com. That's, that's the article that I wrote for it. And, uh, and as a side note, when I, 
I posted that article and then I, you know, I, I ran the little promo on, on Facebook, on our, on the Carolina sportsman Facebook page for it. And I had so many people message me, email me, put it in our, on our Facebook page, you know, that I was an idiot because, you know, that's, there's no such thing as a pompano dolphin. There's a pompano and then there's a dolphin. And why did I call it both? And, 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 you know, so anyway, fortunately I had some defenders on our Facebook page saying, dude, read the article and you'll know, you know, that there is a separate species called that. But anyway, that's, you know, part of the job that's always, always kind of, kind of funny and frustrating at the same time. But, uh, Anyway, like I say, if you want to check that article out and see the photos, the photos are really cool. I mean, I've got a photo of the raft on there, which uh, will just blow your mind that people actually get on that and try to cross the ocean. And um, it's just crazy that it's still it's still floating to me. And uh, so anyway, you can see uh, photos of that, photos of the dolphin, the pompano dolphin fish, and photos of uh, the rest of what they caught during the day so um uh check that out at carolinasportsman.com and uh now I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some uh frequently asked questions that we've gotten recently and uh you know i'm guilty of not uh updating the podcast as often as i'd like to and i'm also guilty of not checking the the facebook for the sportsman weekly podcast as often as i should and i checked it the other day and i realized i had uh, several questions on there so i appreciate uh you know everybody reaching out and 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 liking that uh facebook page it's called it's just called sportsman weekly podcast so uh thank y'all for the questions and the first one was um, uh the first one was is sportsman weekly podcast a part of carolina sportsman magazine and I guess the answer is kind of yes and no. I'm the editor and the main writer for Carolina Sportsman, and I'm a host of this podcast. But the podcast is not owned by the magazine. It's just something I decided to do on my own. And, uh, you know, the, the work that I do, the things I run across in my job with Carolina Sportsman Magazine gives me a lot of ideas <clears throat> to talk about on here. So um, it, it, it's a... Uh, it's just something I like I like to do on my own. And uh, another question that I got several times was, how can I be interviewed on the Sportsman Weekly Podcast? And this question came from fishing guides and from a guy that killed a really unique turkey, um, a young lady that caught a 10-pound bass and killed a 10-point buck on the same day back in the fall of 2021, asked, asked me that question. And, uh, we're, we're always happy to have guests on the show. Most of our shows, if you, if you look back and listen to the other ones are me interviewing people on, on the, on the uh, podcast. So yeah, you can reach out to us. Probably the easiest way is, is on the, the Facebook page, the, uh, sportsman weekly podcast, Facebook page. If you leave me a message there, um, you know, I'd be glad to get in touch with you. And another question is, uh, where is the Sportsman Weekly Podcast located? And the answer right now is in Sumter County, South Carolina. But uh, I travel throughout both Carolinas and write about the outdoor happenings in both states. So feel free to share any tidbits with me that you'd like to hear us uh, talk about here. Because, 
you know, just part of my job with Carolina Sportsman is traveling throughout both states, hunting and fishing, uh, going to wildlife uh, meetings and stuff like that. So I'm always happy to um, interview anyone else from the Carolinas or that has an interest in the Carolinas or an interesting story about the Carolinas. And uh, one, one of the more recent trips I went on was uh, to Yadkinville, North Carolina, for a North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission meeting on chronic wasting disease and how that's going to impact the uh, deer hunting season this fall in North Carolina. And Yadkinville is where the single, there's there's been one deer in the Carolinas that's tested positive for CWD or chronic wasting disease. And that deer was harvested in Yadkinville, North Carolina. So that's why they had the meeting there. And uh, I'll tell you what, that was probably the most well-run meeting I've ever been to. Um, You know, I thought it was going to be kind of hectic with people yelling and screaming uh, from from the, you know, the public was welcome to come in, and it was a packed house. But they ran the meeting really well. They, you know, they said right off the bat there's not going to be any, you know, yelling out questions or comments. And they passed these index cards around and said, you got a question or comment, write it down. They had a panel of people and panel of experts in front of the room facing the audience. And when they got the que- the index cards with the questions, they would uh, determine who would be best to answer that question. So it was, uh, it was, it was truly a, a well-run meeting and very informative and, and even interesting. Um, if you don't know about CWD, chronic wasting disease, it's a 100% fatal disease to, that affects uh, cervids, which include white-tailed deer. Um, it also includes elk and a couple of other animals. Uh, so it's a really devastating disease. If a deer catches it, it will absolutely die. There's no cure for it. And not only is there no cure for it, there's no way to detect CWD in a live deer. They only identify it after the deer's death. And the way they found out this deer had CWD is the NCWRC has a program with taxidermists and uh, uh, facilities where you take your deer to get them processed, processing facilities. And, uh, you know, the, those taxidermists and processing facilities could voluntarily send in samples of deer that people have brought them to be processed or to be uh, have taxidermy done to them. And this particular deer was uh, uh, apparently a really nice buck. He took it to the taxidermist. Taxidermist was in the volunteer program with uh, the NCWRC. He sent the sample in. The NCWRC was going through thousands of samples that they'd collected during the season. And were still testing, you know, well after uh, the season was over. And that's when they found CWD in this deer. And, you know, one thing we learned in the meeting was, you know, you know, people wanted to know, well, how do we know it wasn't a false positive? 
you know, it was only one deer. Um, that just seems strange, but deer, deer had tested positive within 30 miles of the border that these were Virginia deer leading up to this, uh, Virginia had found CWD. They, they already had CWD, Virginia, the state of Virginia, but none of them were that close to, uh, the North Carolina border until late last season, last year or early this year there were two or three that tested positive that were in 30 miles of the border of North Carolina. And that number is significant because a white-tailed deer, the average white-tailed deer will travel no more than five miles from the place he was born in their lifetime. But there have been documented cases of white-tailed deer traveling 33 miles. So Yadkinville is up there, you know, close to the border. Um, so if we were going to find a, a CWD positive deer, you know, that's the area that it would have made sense for one to come from. But anyway, back to one of the questions was uh, for the panel was, how do we know it wasn't a false positive? So when they, when they got the sample from the taxidermist, it tested positive, they contacted the taxidermist, said you know we would like to talk to the hunter so the taxidermist got them in touch with the hunter the ncwrc went out spoke to the hunter the hunter told him all about the deer he said you know the deer looked completely normal i would have never thought it had any kind of disease um and in ncwrc said do you happen to have any meat from it left because we'd like to test it and he, he had still had meat in the freezer uh he you know, gave them samples, they tested it, and the samples tested positive for CWD. So uh, the NCWRC said they were they were 100% sure that it was the right deer and it was definitely CWD positive. So, and like I was saying earlier, there's no way to know. You know, a, a lot of people see deer. There, there's several diseases that affect white-tailed deer, and uh, one is known as blue tongue disease, and I think the actual name is uh, hemorrhagic disease. But, and, you know, a number of deer catch that disease, and they live through it, and when they get through it, they have an immunity to that disease. But CWD is unfortunately not that way. But a lot of people will see deer that act funny, look sick, and... Uh, those are the ones more often than not that have blue tongue disease or hemorrhagic disease. Um, most CWD infected deer never show signs because the disease kills them before they get old enough to, to show the signs, which are, uh, and C CWD deer, if they are showing signs, you know, it's a variety of things that show that you could just be real, extremely skinny, drooling like crazy, walking around confused, you know, eyes watering. Um, but those symptoms are also symptoms of blue tongue disease and other diseases. So, and, and those other diseases, those symptoms come out while the deer is infected with those diseases. And then they, the majority of them live through that and have that immunity to them. But CWD, unfortunately, is is just not that way. And 
CWD, according to the, the wildlife biologists, if, if a deer comes into contact with a CWD-infected deer, it doesn't matter how healthy that deer is. If he catches CWD, he's going to die. He's, he's not going to get over it. He could be the healthiest deer in the herd. It's, it's going to kill him. And I think North Carolina was something like 29th state to detect CWD in their deer population. And some states have had it for decades. And some states just called for wholesale slaughter of white-tailed deer in the counties that they had it. And that was one thing that a lot of people were wondering, is North Carolina going to do that? And North Carolina said, no, we're not going to do that because it was devastating in, in those states and it did not uh, contain the disease. So, but what North Carolina is going to do is, uh, you know, in, in they, they've got two zones, the, in, the infected zone and the outer zone uh, that's within 30 miles of, of where that deer was killed. Uh, they're calling for mandatory testing for hunters f- during certain dates of the upcoming season. And, uh, and there's some other stuff that, you know, hunters are going to be asked to do or required to do. And, uh, and outside of those areas, if you want to get your deer tested, there's going to be plenty of sites you know, to, to drop off. And you don't have to drop your whole deer off. You just have to drop off certain parts of the deer. And, uh, you know, the the NCWRC is going to make sure that you don't have to, you know, jump through a bunch of hoops to get your deer tested. They're going to have sites where you can drop off just freezers where you can drop off samples and and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, any, any questions you have about hunting in that area, which is Yadkinville, which is Yadkin County and, um, you know, the five or six counties around it and uh you know you can check the ncwrc website they've got a web page called no cwd that's k-n-o-w c-w-d and it tells you more about the disease and also what impact you know the full impact that it's going to have on on hunters in the uh, the 2022 season and and probably beyond that so South Carolina is still CWD free and Georgia is CWD free and Florida also. And, uh, so, you know, hopefully it'll stay out of South Carolina and, and hopefully there won't be any more in North Carolina, which would be, uh, uh they, they expect to have other ones test positive just because that's the way the disease works. However, the state of New York had one positive, had one CWD positive deer decades ago, and they've done extensive testing since then, and they've never had another one. So, according to the deer biologists with NCWRC, that situation was vastly different than than uh, this one, and he didn't really elaborate on that, but. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, he had a reason for saying that, but the, uh, they, at the meeting, they said they fully expect that there will be some more test positive 
you know, in the coming years, even though they hope that's not the case, um, they're prepared for it. So anyway, uh, you, like I say, you can find out more information at the NCWRC's website, which is ncwildlife.com. So you can check that out. And, uh, even for hunters in South Carolina, if you want to get your deer tested, um, there's, there's ways to do that. Um, and you can go to the SCDNR website, the South Carolina Department of Natural Resource site, and they'll tell you, you know, how you can, how you can do, go about getting your deer tested. And they obviously request or suggest, I should say, that when you have, especially if you live in the area of Yadkin County or those surrounding counties, when you kill a deer, you take the sample in for testing or you drop the sample off for testing, they suggest that you don't eat uh, that deer until you get the results back telling you whether it was CWD positive or not. Now, there has not been a case, and there's not been a known case of a human being becoming infected with CWD, but the biologists are cautious enough that they don't recommend eating deer, eating meat from a CWD infected deer. And they kind of liken it to, I don't know if y'all remember several years ago, uh, something that was really big in the news is called a uh, hoof and mouth disease. Um, I think they were from cattle or sheep or something. Well, CWD is really similar in a lot of ways to that. And the hoof and mouth disease did make a jump to human beings. And, so, and you know, people died from, from catching it, from eating meat. So they think CWD is similar enough to suggest that you don't eat meat that you know came from a CWD-infected deer. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the Sportsman Weekly Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope to have another show next week. I'm your host, Brian Cope, signing off.